0: Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Uh, match day is coming up. And if unfortunately you don't match, uh, just give me an email, TonyThePharmacist at gmail.com and see if I can help you out uh, with phase two, uh, if that's something that you want to pursue. But what I brought on today was CEO of your financial pharmacist, Tim Ulbrick, who has been a good friend for quite a while. And uh, no better time than just before graduation to kind of start thinking about those next steps uh, that we're going to take. So I brought him on so that uh, he could really kind of give us an overview. Uh, He had a journey where he had some student loan debt and uh, not only paid it off, but uh, took the next step of helping others uh, with those types of repayments and things like that. So Tim, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast.
1: Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the the opportunity to be here. And uh, yes, grateful they got paid off, made a lot of mistakes along the way. So passionate and uh, excited to share that information as well.
0: Okay. Well, let's um, just get a little bit of background on uh, where YFP is now, a little bit about the website and uh, what somebody who's uh, just about to either go into residency, go into PGY2, graduate from PGY1 or PGY2, or graduate from pharmacy school. What um, what resources would be the f- best first step for them at YFP?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. The The team at YFP has has grown, which I think is a indication, a good one of the, the need for more information on this topic of financial education. Our, our mission is to help pharmacists achieve financial freedom. That could be, you know, hey, Tim, I'm, I'm going through the match and, and getting ready for residency. Could be that, Hey, I'm 10, 15 years into my career and I'm feeling like I'm a little bit behind on, on investing saving for the future. Or it's a, hey, Tim, I'm, I'm hoping to retire next year. And wow, markets are kind of wild. Inflation is high. And, and you know what should I be thinking about as I build that retirement paycheck? So we're really here to help pharmacists in, in this financial uh, journey and to create a community of folks that want to help one another and, and feel empowered throughout that journey. I would say for those that are you know making this this step right now into final year as a student pharmacist first year as a new practitioner whether that's residency whether that's fellowship whether it's you know that first full-time paying job as a pharmacist I, I graduated in 2008 can remember that journey well and uh, I, I made Tony a whopping thirty one thousand dollars during my residency uh, <laughs> at the Ohio State University thankfully they've come up a little bit you know since then but we're starting to see again that divide right Tony that was closing for a while as pharmacist salaries were being compressed and decreased and, and hours were being cut. Resident salaries were going up at the same time. Now we're seeing that start to stretch out again, as we're seeing some demand increase, sign on bonuses and some other things. And, and I think right out of the gates, Tony would be, you know, student loans. And I would point to one resource. We've got a great free comprehensive uh, it's a blog post, but it's really more of a, a short ebook uh, to be honest uh, on, Really evaluating and repaying your student loans and kind of an A to Z guide. And and folks can get that blog at yourfinancialpharmacist.com forward slash ultimate. Uh, It's the ultimate guide to paying back your student loans. And, you know, this is a big decision. $170,000 is the median student loan debt of a 2021 graduate. That's gone up since 2010. That number was around 100,000. And walking into that repayment decision, despite The masses of episodes and blog posts that we've talked on this topic, we're still seeing folks make significant, significant student loan payment mistakes in terms of not really understanding, evaluating all those options and not looking at things like optimizing public service loan forgiveness. You know, if that's a pathway, we just did an episode, uh, or actually it's recorded coming up here soon of featuring some PSLF stories and lots of debt that was forgiven and and challenges along that journey. And so my my take-home point here is when you're looking at 150 dollars to $200,000 of student loan debt, uh, this is only one part of the financial plan. And spending the time to understand the nuances of federal loan repayment, forgiveness, non-forgiveness, income-driven repayment, refinancing, private, all of these options, it seems overwhelming, but it will pay off in dividends. I promise you, if you dig in, understand those repayment options, run the math, and then really see what's best for your personal situation. So we've got May 1st, for those that have been following the news, we've got the administrative student loan forbearance, which has paused payments and frozen interest on federal loans dating all the way back to March of 2020 as a part of the CARES Act with the the beginning of the pandemic. That's going to end here in May of 2022. So now is the time to get our game plan ready and make sure we understand all those options.
0: Yeah, uh, when I, let's, we're going back a long ways, but even when I graduated and this is embarrassing to say, but I paid $4,000 a year in tuition. They had just doubled it from 2000. Uh, so I paid $16,000, but I still managed to have 40,000 in student loan debt, which is just a miracle. But then I also had some uh, credit card debt, uh, mm-hmm. almost $20,000. So I, I part of that $20,000 was actually a down payment on a new car. So I really just, <laughs> to say I made, made some interesting moves uh, in my younger days, I, I definitely did that. And Um, In hindsight, I I kind of wish I had had a plan. And what I want you to talk about a little bit is you've worked with so many people. And I think there's some expectation that when you get to a certain dollar amount, that's Mm. when you feel better. But I've actually found that when I paid off my loans, it was more a sense of relief. And I went from 5'8 to 5'9. I just felt a little bit taller. (laughs) Yeah. And it just felt better. Can you tell me about the feeling that someone has after they have that plan in place that and I think the other Tim's the one that used the word buckets, that the buckets, you know, things are going in the right buckets. Yeah. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit more about kind of the, um, the feelings that, that those people that you've worked with have after they've successfully put a plan together? Again, they may not have paid a single thing yet, but here's the plan. Yeah. And now that it, it makes more sense, it's in alignment with what they want to do.
1: I think Tony, what you just said there is so, so important when we work with pharmacists that have 200, 250, dollars of debt, I always tell folks that, you know, today that number might be $250,000 tomorrow actually might grow a little bit because of interest. And the only difference between today and tomorrow is what if we have a plan that we know we've evaluated all of our options, we've inventoried our loans, we've gotten in in the muddy middle of really understanding these numbers, asking the hard questions, seeing how this impacts other parts of the plan. And we decide a path forward. That may be forgiveness. That might be refinancing. That might be the standard 10-year repayment. The number has not moved, right? But the only difference is we have a plan. And just to see the emotional weight and the change in that is incredible because what it does is it lifts the fog that we have this one thing right now that's in our face. And it's the only thing we can think about. Well, guess what? It's only one part of the financial plan. We've got to be thinking about saving and investing for the future. Many folks listening are thinking about buying a home, probably in a, you know, in a market that continues to appreciate. And and for some cases makes it unaffordable. We have to be thinking about protecting our income and, and things like you know, life insurance and long-term disability insurance. We've got family that we might be caring for. And so these student loans, as important as they are, it's one part of the financial plan. And we have to be able to put a plan forward so that we can then also begin to focus and have clarity on other parts of the financial plan. And I think that, you know, your, your question about what, what do people feel like emotionally when, when they have the plan or even when they get to the finish line is they're, they're ecstatic, you know, without question that they can begin to move forward and have some clarity i know tony you know that getting to that finish line of student loans is just one piece on the overall financial journey i always tell folks that sometimes we get in the trap to think that like student loan debt repayment is the end of the game and you know i thought that was the case and it was a great moment in november of 2015 when my wife and i hit submit on that last payment of two hundred thousand dollars of debt but here i am you know in 2022 we've got four boys Uh, they eat a lot of food, they're expensive. They're involved in a lot of activities, right? Life has changed and it's just an evolution of the financial plan. And so for us in that moment, debt loan repayment was a priority. And guess what? We're now looking and saying, okay, what, what does this mean as we think about our kids' college? What does this mean in terms of our giving priorities? What does this mean in terms of making sure we're on track, you know, financially with saving and investing for the future? So the financial plan never ends, never ends. Even when we get to retirement and we say, hey, we've got the, the finish line. Now we've got to think about the strategy of how we build a retirement paycheck. So we've worked all of these years to put this money together. Well, there's a whole nother level of strategy of well, how do we actually build a paycheck? Not that comes from our work, but from the portfolio we've constructed and how do we do it in a tax efficient manner? So I would just encourage the listeners that are you know, on the front end of this journey. Yes. Let's dig into these student loans. Let's come up with a plan. Let's make sure we feel confident, but let's keep in mind that this financial plan is a much, much bigger picture. And this is going to be an important, but first step on the financial journey.
0: Okay. Everybody loves an underdog story. And uh, you've got a, quite a few uh, on there. Do you have a favorite uh, where somebody has paid off? Their, I mean, besides uh, you, actually, probably would would get more value from someone else doing it. I mean, I know you did, but um, I just know the person you are. But do you have a favorite podcast episode or two? Because oh. you have a number of of big, you know, people coming together and just buckling down and and yeah. really getting it. What do you have a favorite underdog story?
1: Uh, there's so many. I'm thinking about you know uh, C- Corey Jenks and and his wife um, who recently came out with a book and is doing some incredible work. Uh, we've had several other debt free uh, j- journeys. I'm thinking about um, pharmacists who does uh, some real estate investing down south. You know the one that jumps out to me in the moment though is and we're coming up with a episode to share some public service loan forgiveness stories. Is a pharmacist who had. Um, over $250,000 of, of student loans that were forgiven. Balance went from in the 250s to zero within a, a oh, short man. period of time through PSLF. <laughs> and what I like about that story is it wasn't a straight line. It wasn't like, hey, I had this epiphany moment that I was gonna do this. Everything worked out along the way and I just woke up and it was all gone. I mean, there were some hiccups. There were some you know challenging moments, but what happened through that story and what I like about it is the resilience of working through it Uh, making sure that they were crossing their T's, dotting their I's, understanding the plan, but also because of that pathway, they were able to accelerate other financial goals that otherwise would have been hit on pause until that loan repayment was done. And I, I mentioned this one specifically, Tony, because I think sometimes we have this thought of like, it's head down student loans for 10 years and worry about nothing else. And that might be a strategy for some folks, but guess what? That means we're maybe a fourth into our career and we've got to play catch up on other things. And there are strategies that we can employ that allow us to, you know, be able to, to chew and walk gum at the same time. We can start to build an investment plan, take advantage of time value of money, compound interest, while also also moving forward our student loan repayment or looking at purchasing a home. And so, being able to juggle these balls and having someone perhaps you know coach us through that, and keep us accountable, I think is so important. But we've got lots of debt free stories uh, on the podcast. Some of them are, you know, sweat and grinding it out and paying every dollar out of pocket some of them are you know loan forgiveness or other debt reduction programs that are out there as well
0: yeah you've you've mentioned a number of times on on yfp and when you kind of come down to it and there's a, even a book uh, on this but not necessarily in regards to financial to find your why is a really big mm-hmm. part of being able to to work with somebody um, that you know you're not just like okay well the technical parts of it, we can, we can certainly do that. But until I really understand your why, it's going to be very tough for me to do that. And, and when we're doing letters of intent, uh, which we'll be doing again here in the next week for phase two, a number of people just kind of said, okay, well, you know, I, it's just a document. I'm just going to do it. And, uh, you know, I get the letter in and then they get rejected. And it wasn't really necessarily the letter was so terrible. It's that they didn't take the time for that introspection So, that they could make the right decision out of Mm the 4,000 available spots in residency. And they applied to whatever it was, 10 or 12 uh, spots. And so, the error wasn't the letter necessarily, it was the lack of introspection. Mm -hmm. And what I guess I wanted to talk to you about now is can you tell me a little bit about how somebody finds their why so early in their career? Because I feel like both of us have kind of. Uh, done the Steve Jobs, you can only connect the dots looking backward, like, oh, okay, now I understand where I ended up. It, it all makes sense now. Yeah. But is there a way to kind of look ahead and, and kind of build into uh, your own why and, and kind of start that process earlier?
1: There is. And let me just first affirm, uh, you know, you're giving me flashbacks to my day as a residency program director and, and um, advising students in that process, but, you know, also being on the other side of the table where, you know, you're reviewing 40 to 50 applications. And so what you're saying is so true. I mean, as much as we would say, customize and do that introspection, you know, many people don't. And, you know, it's a very, you know, stock kind of letter process, but that really does matter, you know, th- throughout that process. And I would argue in phase two, it probably even matters a little bit more. But to answer your question, you know, can we do some of this introspection and finding your why as it relates to the financial plan early in our career? I, I would say yes. And I would add the caveat that it's going to change and, and that's okay, but we want to begin to have a compass and a north of what direction we're heading. right? We might get on a different trail uh, or we might pivot along the way, but ultimately we're, we're moving in that direction. And I think this is really important because what I see happening a lot, which is what I saw for my first four years out of residency, is I was kind of wandering, you, you got all these things that are getting thrown at you. You're starting your career. You're trying to obviously do good work in that job and prove yourself. You've got student loan debt coming at you. Perhaps you're starting a family, you're buying a home. People are telling you you need to invest and save for the future. And you're like, what's my why? It's hard to wrap your arms around, right? The importance of that. And so we actually do a process and a shout out to our planning team that I think does this so well. We call it script your plan. And step number one in the financial planning process that the team does is get organized. So, you know, get all of our account information in order, making sure we have everything synced up, understand what this account for that account for really that data gathering phase, which sounds simple, but is so important. Step number two is script your plan. So before we talk about student loan repayments, before we talk about investing, saving for the future, you know, 401ks, IRAs, cryptocurrency, buying a home, all these things We need to understand where we are trying to go. We have to answer this question, at least as we stand today, why do I care about this topic of money? Why do I really care? If we think of money as a tool, what gets me motivated ultimately at the end of the day is I earn that paycheck, right? And so if we can imagine ourselves in a future state just for a moment where we don't have the confines of student loan debt, we don't have the confines of I have to go to work to earn this six-figure income, how would we be spending our time? How do we be spending our money? What are the things that derive the most significance to us? What are the things that are most important to us? And this becomes to start to shape around. We always say that a good financial plan, yes, we need to take care of our future self, right? Yes. We need to plan for retirement. Yes. We got to pay down the debt, but guess what? We also have to live a rich life along the way. And it's the balance between those things that I think for some pharmacists, you know, it's hard to see what's right in front of us today. For other pharmacists, they're really, really good at squirreling money away, but they may not be so good at enjoying and and giving themselves permission to spend along the way. And so asking some really pointed questions, and that's what our planning team does in the scripture plan, is really allowing us to begin to develop what somebody's financial why is. And of course, that's going to evolve and we need to revisit this. And one of the things that that we look at is you know, we we look back a, a year or two years later and say, you know, hey Susie, you, you said that this thing was really important. Like, do we have the financial plan and the budget to support it? Are we prioritizing it as we said it was important? And so, you know, reflecting this back, revisiting this often, you know, so important. But asking some of these critical questions up front. And if folks want to learn more about this concept, there, there's a, um, a a process called life planning three questions, uh, developed by George Kinder. You can just develop, you can just Google George Kinder, three life planning questions and begin to reflect on, on some of those things yourself.
0: So tell me a little bit about working with couples. So this is, Mm. I want to, I want to preface this with, I was, I don't know why, but I started thinking about Bagger Vance, which is a movie that came Mm -hmm. out in 2000, about 20, 21 years ago. Uh, it was an early, young Matt Damon, um, Will Smith, Charlize Theron. And uh, for those of you that aren't necessarily familiar with golf, there are many different approaches to golf that are, can be successful. But there was the one guy who was Bobby Jones, who was kind of the A student that always did well. Uh, he, In real life, he, he got an engineering degree from Georgia Tech. He got a literature degree from Harvard, a law degree from Emory, all while being the best golfer in the world uh, and winning all four championships in the same year. Which is mind-boggling, and then there was Walter Hagen, who, on the other hand, he um, has kind of this mantra of, "Well, if I make three bad shots and one miraculous shot, then I can do well too." (laughs) And that's kind of me; like, I'll 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 succeed in that way. So my my wife is the A student; Uh, I'm I'm the person that kind of goes wrong. But I think most of us are, and maybe I was when I graduated. Uh, Matt Damon's character, where mm-hmm. we're doing great, we got to pharmacy school, we succeeded at pharmacy school, and then we have this, I hate to call it, the, the, it, it trauma the way that they portrayed it in the movie, but, but certainly this student loan changes who mm-hmm. we are in the future. And not only are we bringing this in, but our partner may also be bringing this present in. So if you've got two quotation fingers, average pharmacist, you're talking yeah. about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, which is a payment I think somewhere around three or four thousand a month. Mm-hmm. Out. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so tell me a little bit about couples and and bringing people together that have different uh, qualities that that may you know have some synergy when it comes together. And I know you've had stories about this, but yeah, but maybe um, how how do couples work through this at that really early stage?
1: It's a great question. And I think the example you gave, Tony, I would argue is actually maybe an easier one, despite the number to work through than an imbalance, you know, is my my observation. Oh, so you okay. mentioned, yeah. you know, two pharmacists that have 170, or it could be a pharmacist physician, whatever it be the case, two folks that have a high student debt load, you know, I think often there might be, not always, but might be some similar pain and kind of the shared sense of camaraderie to work on it together to be able to accelerate and work towards other mutual goals that they have. I think one of the challenges can be without good conversations is, you know, like in in my situation, uh, my wife, uh, Jess, I had pretty much all of the debt, you know, that, that was bringing into that. And we had, we had discussed that. And obviously it was something we were committed to working towards together, but, you know, without good conversation, that could be some resentment or of course, if folks are surprised by that, that could be, you know, some resentment. And so I think, To to me, what I always start with when it comes to couples and and money, and we're talking about debt load, but I think it goes far, far beyond that. It could be around things like, hey, are we on the same page about how we feel about the debt, right? You could have somebody who's comfortable with a longer debt repayment or forgiveness, and someone else is like, I'm not comfortable with that. I want those gone tomorrow. And so when you have one person who says, hey, these are stressing me out, they're keeping me up at night, they're causing me anxiety, and somebody else is like, they are what they are, like, you got to work through that, right? Or it could be investing and saving for the future where somebody is like, Hey, I want to make darn sure we have enough for the future. Plus some, and someone else is like, yeah, that's great. But guess what? We may or may not be here. And I want to enjoy some of it today. And, and I think this is where, in my opinion, and obviously I have a bias because of the work that the team at YFP planning does. I think this is where a, a good objective third party that can ask questions is so, so helpful because I think that, you know, in, in some levels you, you can start to mediate some of these conversations. A good planner, I think often will ask questions and get out of the way. And what I experienced going through planning myself with Tim Baker for Jess and I, you know, those meetings were really helpful, but what often was more helpful and valuable was the conversations we were having in between, right? It was getting us talking and getting us thinking about the direction we wanted to go. And and what I always come back to, especially coming off our discussion on why is for couples that are, you know, trying to figure this out or on the front end of this, start with the goals, start with the dream, start with the vision, do not start with the budget. Or the student loan repayment <laughs> strategy. I can promise don't you that we'll start we're not, with the
0: pain. <laughs> don't Sorry.
1: start with the pain, right? Because if you can come to an agreement on, you know, the goals, the vision, answering some of those bigger questions, sure, it seems you know lofty to begin with, but then we're moving in the same direction. And now the strategy needs to align with that overall vision. I think, you know, starting with the budget, starting with the debt repayment, starting with our investing strategy may, may not lead to such a positive income. And we have a, a, an article I wrote way back when, and maybe you can link to it in the show notes. Uh, called, I wrote an article called 10 Financial Discussions Every Couple Should Have. And these are around things like goal setting, budgeting, you know, expenses with children, uh, giving conversations. This is an area where you see folks may not be on the same page, debt repayment, uh, housing, transportation. You know, Maybe somebody looks at the market right now and they're like, I am itching to buy a home. Somebody else is like, no way, the market's crazy. So these are meant to be questions in 10 different categories that, you know, you don't necessarily have to pose to your, your partner or your spouse, but it's an objective third party bringing these questions to hopefully have some good, good discussions and conversation.
0: Okay, well, I, I'll find it and I'll link to it. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of going back to my, and, and you can maybe I'll segue to, to the real estate uh, arm of YFP. Yeah. But I I was a real estate agent for I want to say 5 or 6 maybe even 7 years I don't remember how how long it was and I remember those conversations where I you had two diametrically different approaches and that third party had to be there to make it so that the, you could ask you know well I know that you want this this and this mm-hmm. but you want this this and this and the house that is that doesn't fit into your budget mm-hmm. it doesn't fit into a millionaire's budget you know it's mm-hmm. and and so we have to you know find some compromise and and those car drives there were just it, that that's what it was it was just kind of talking about it and listening and and hearing yeah. what it is on one end and what it is on another uh where you, you, if you have an agent that's really kind of listening and and not so worried about the sale and, and because I, you know, I'd had the job, you know, I was still working at the the pharmacy or whatever. I was very fortunate that I was never worried about the sale. I was just, Mm -hmm. it just was really enjoyable to me to kind of have this, you know, couple come together and it it all work out. Can you talk a little bit about Nate and um, what you've got going on when the real estate arm of YFP?
1: Yeah, I got a couple exciting things. So, so Nate Hedrick, uh, a friend and colleague of mine for now a, a decade. I think he actually, when I, when I used to teach at Neomed, he was a resident in our teaching certificate program, which is how we met. Um, and Nate is a pharmacist, but also a real estate agent. So his kind of brand is, is the real estate RPH. And we've had him on several shows on the YFP podcast. We've got some information up on the website, your financial pharmacist.com. If, if folks want to find more, but He's doing some really neat things, I think, on helping to further the educational pharmacists that are in that home buying process, perhaps even before they're looking at, you know, financing options or agent, making sure they understand the span of what's out there. Because often what happens is once you enter into that financing bucket, whatever you, you choose, and once you enter into that agent relationship, you may not be aware of kind of everything else that's out there, especially from a first-time home buyer standpoint. And one of the things I love about Nate is, his, you know, he really does have a heart of a teacher, and I think he also is a, is a client of YFP Planning. He really understands the intersection between the the home purchase and and the financial plan. And one of the things he and I always talk about is, hey, the bank should not set your budget, right? Which happens a lot. But the bank should not set your budget. You should set your budget. And so when you go to that pre approval process and what you get allowed the allowed amount that you can you know have finance, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good decision for you as it relates to the rest of the financial plan, because guess what? They don't necessarily know all of your financial goals are not a financial planner or they're not looking at everything else in your financial plan. So really spending the time to first identify, you know, what, what is the right timeline? What is your budget? How does this fit in with other financial goals? Like debt repayment is so important. And I think, you know, Nate's done a great job of helping connect pharmacists that are looking to, Purchase a home often first time home buyers with agents in their area if they don't already have an agent, as well So to talk them through the process. Nate is also helping us in the second big area we've been working on in real estate, which is more on the investment side. So, we're seeing more and more pharmacists that are looking to get involved in real estate investing. And this could be, you know, looking to buy a single family home or a duplex or a triplex. Uh, it could be, you know, somebody who's looking at a more passive approach to real estate investing. Could be somebody's looking at house hacking where they, you know, buy a duplex or a triplex, they live in one, but they rent out a couple lots of creative ways to do it. And they've initiated a uh, podcast that is dedicated specifically to pharmacists interested in real estate investing that is co hosted by Nate Hedrick and David Bright. We publish that each Saturday on the Your Financial Pharmacist podcast, and I think they're now 44 45 episodes in and, and doing a really neat job, I think, of featuring. Different investment opportunities and, and pharmacists uh, that are doing investing all across the country in that area.
0: Yeah, that um, that real estate arm was was one I understood, and and even being the real estate agent, what allowed me to to better understand uh, the investments. But even having all that, I always used an agent, even when I was buying my own homes, because uh, it, it became such an emotional thing that I couldn't separate myself from is this a good deal? Is this, is this good? And, and so I, I always use an agent and uh, always actually brought my wife out to approve it because um, even if she didn't talk in, in um, you know, technical terms or, or money or whatever it was, I just want to know if she felt good about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one house that I was like, she's like, yeah, I just don't feel good about it. And I was like, well, can you give me more? And she's like, no, just don't feel good about it. And so I passed <laughs> on it and we, you know, it took a while to figure out what it was. But there was actually in the front yard, there was actually a, a telephone post that I completely ignored that was completely blocking the front of the house. Mm. And I was just like, wow, you know, I didn't even see that because I just was so excited about getting it and, and, and just uh, just having that trusted advisor. Uh, so, so valuable. And now Absolutely. I'm kind of on the other end. You know, I'm 25 years out from graduating and now um, we'll have all of our homes, paid off. We have three homes, uh, to one that we live in and then the other two, and uh, the one just got paid off. So if we wanted to, I could just sell that one and pay for all three girls uh, tuition for four years in the state school. Awesome. Um, so uh, I, I, the value of, of real estate is certainly part of the financial plan. Uh, I definitely, definitely um, agree. And well, we haven't, one thing we haven't kind of talked about is investments. And I think in, in some ways, most pharmacists kind of like that, okay, well, I know there's a 100% match and, mm-hmm. or I've heard 401k and things like that. And again, pleading ignorance, I had no idea that 403b, which is kind of the 401k of mm-hmm. the K through 12, also included community colleges. Mm-hmm. So once I paid off my home, I was like, well, what am I going to do with this extra money? And I was like, all right, we'll just put it in the 403b. And so my plans are one sentence, boring plans, a la Tim Baker. Um, the boring part of it, um, he doesn't say the one sentence, but, but it literally was, okay, a thousand dollars in the 403B every month. That's it. Mm -hmm. Just don't even, don't worry about the market. I don't even watch the Dow, which, you know, goes up, down, whatever it's just in, it's just going to be more money. Yeah. Go up or down or whatever. Um, tell me a little bit more about kind of, you've got some 16% of the graduating class will have no debt. That's right. And maybe they're on the investing side and mm-hmm. thinking, OK, well, we've we've managed to survive pharmacy school without debt or we've you know, we're, we're maybe older coming in and we were already established. Um, what is it that I don't want you to give financial advice because I know you can't do that. <laughs> but um, what is it that YFP does as far as investments go?
1: Yeah, one of the things we we always talk about on the investing side of the plan, and you know, traditional financial planning, investments rule the day, and, th- and that's because um, typically the demographic of the clients they're serving usually a little bit older, have more assets that can be managed, um, but also because of how fees have been charged historically by the industry, and and we could go down that rabbit hole, which which is probably a separate conversation for a separate day, um, but for folks that are you know perhaps have a negative net worth, right, because they have you know a boatload of student loan debt. Um, or they're early on in, in their career. And maybe they are part of that 16% that didn't have student loan debt upon graduation, but they haven't yet built up a substantial asset base. There's not traditionally a whole lot that's out there to service folks. And so investing, we, we always say is one part, albeit an important part, but one part of the financial plan and, you know, folks that are especially early on in their career, what we need to be thinking about is the long-term play and we need to have the long-term in mind. And that's scary especially in a time period like we're in right now, where the market is, you know, up, up a percent, down a percent, up a percent, down a percent. And, you know, folks that are perhaps further in their career and have built up a substantial asset base, they can see their portfolio, you know, fluctuate significantly from, you know, one, one day to the next at the current moment, unfortunately. And so what we really preach and teach is, is that we have to have the long-term play in mind. And so, you know, we really believe that early on folks are, are looking at a more aggressive portfolio. Uh, we've got a long trajectory in front of us in terms of our work career. Uh, you know, if we look at life expectancy of folks that are coming out of pharmacy school today, uh, we're going to have a long trajectory, probably post retirement, and, and that, that lifespan that we have to be able to fund after that. So, you know, we we, we probably can't afford to be getting too conservative in, at, at any point in, in the near future. And so, what we look at on, on the planning side is how can we build an investment portfolio that makes sense? Number one, that is fee efficient. Right. Number two, that's a thing that folks often overlook is the fees that are being charged on their investments. Sometimes they're transparent, sometimes they're not. And that also is tax efficient. So, tax and fees are two things that can have a significant impact on one's investment pie that they might not be thinking about or necessarily feeling in any given day. And so, what I always tell folks is if you're going to put away a substantial amount of money, right, let's say you're going to save, you know, a thousand dollars a month, you know, throughout your career. Well, guess what? You want to do everything you can to make sure that that money is growing and compounding time value of money, that money's working for you in terms of compound interest. And you wanna do everything you can to minimize the tax impact and the fees that are being drawn from that. right? You wanna keep that investment portfolio intact so that it can continue to grow and compound compound upon itself. And so we spend a lot of time on the tax planning. So we've got a tax team in house looking at how can we invest in a priority that makes sense? How can we optimize our tax situation, pay our fair share, but obviously put the rest to work where we can. And how can we make sure we prioritize uh, strategies uh, as it relates to different parts of the plan? So for example, I'll give you one example, Tony, for those that pursue public service loan forgiveness, not only is there the benefit of tax-free forgiveness, but ultimately the way those monthly payments are constructed is based off of one's adjusted gross income or their AGI is used in the formula. So there are investment levers that can be pulled they can lower one's adjusted gross income, right? 401K, 403B contributions, HSA contributions. So not only in those cases are we beginning to build our investments, but we're also lowering our taxable income, which is increasing the amount that's forgiven and decreasing the amount that's coming out of our pocket. So in that scenario, you know, somebody wakes up 10 years from, from that point, especially for the folks that are going to work in a not-for-profit hospital in a residency situation, you know, wake up in 10 years, you get to the point potentially of tax-free forgiveness, but you also have a nice nest egg that you began to build up because of that strategy around the investing. So it's, it's, it's things like that, where we start to put the different pieces of the financial plan together, investing student loans, taxes, and making sure that we're building a plan for the long-term that makes sense. We we often talk Tony about retirement as if it's a hope dream or wish. And what what I always tell folks is, you know, retirement and that number we need is ultimately a a set of mathematical assumptions, right? We might not like the numbers when we put them in the calculator, but that's what it is. And and those numbers, you know, have some variability to them. There's some assumptions, things will change over time, but we should never be thinking, you know, I hope I can retire at the age of 55 or 65 or 67, right? We We can plan that out and we can do those projections and say, hey, this is what you might need in 40 years. But the problem with stopping there is people look at those numbers and they're like, that doesn't even make sense to me right now, right? It's overwhelming. It's 40 years into the future. I got these other things right in front of me. So a good financial plan, will take that number and then bring it back to today and say, what does that mean today? So what are the options you have available to you? Maybe it's a 401k, maybe it's an IRA, maybe it's an HSA, it's a combination of those. What options do you have in front of you today that we can begin to save towards each month so that if we do that over the next 30 or 40 years, gonna be able to achieve that retirement number.
0: All right. well I've asked you a bunch of questions. Is there anything that I maybe missed uh, that you want to make sure people know? and um, although it's pretty easy to find your financial pharmacist on the on the web, uh, maybe give us your contact information to make sure somebody can get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, appreciate the opportunity to be on uh, website yourfinancialpharmacist.com. would love to connect with folks on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me uh, Tim Albrecht. And um appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh wish wish the group that's listening the best of luck going forward. So thanks, Tony.
0: Hey, thanks again.